The Tampering Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Sam, you know you could go see the Kings play the Bulls tonight for like 12 bucks on the app. 12 bucks. I mean, I get to go for free, but 12 is pretty good. Our beer-drinking friends in Milwaukee can go see the Knicks and Bucks for 8 bucks, if you can believe that. James Dolan is doing something wrong. Just want to throw that in there. Next week, when Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers, they're going to be in Indiana on Monday, and you can go see them for 12 bucks. see them play the Pacers. Or they're going to play the Raptors on Wednesday. It's going to be a huge game. Kawhi Leonard is going to get his ring. The, the Raptor fans will get a chance to either boo the hell out of him or not. You're going to be right before game time, and you can do one of two things. You can either saw your arm off at the shoulder and try to sell your arm on the black market for enough money to buy a ticket to get into the game. Or you can check the game time app and get in for way, way reduced prices. Amazing stuff, Joe. You also have me thinking of that uh, that movie, uh, 142 Hours, about the guy who cuts his arm off. That's, that's a side note. Uh, the Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. <laughs> Welcome to Tampering with Sam Amick and Joe Varney. This is a game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. What do you do, baby? Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? And the charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play coming around. Trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not right. It's right. I tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast at The Athletic. I'm Sam Amick, NBA Insider, here as always with my co-host, fellow NBA Insider, East Coast pal Joe Varden. What's up, brother? Welcome back to the mainland. Yeah, don't bring that up. For the listeners who were not with us last week, tough to, to come back. I'm not going to lie, a couple days in Hawaii, a little mid-season getaway. We went to, uh, to Kauai with the family, Joe. And I guess to paint the brief picture and then move on because it's it's going to bring a depressing tone to the show is, you know, a little tough to go from uh, island weather with, uh, you know, a little bit of rain, but, but all in all, you know, some nice, comfortable humidity and in the 80-ish range and, and you know, hikes and, and uh, body surfing and all that fun stuff. And, and by the way, as I told you off air, maybe my favorite part of the little Thanksgiving uh, little little soiree, uh, soiree that we had was NBA games that start at, I guess it would be four in the afternoon. Uh, it was incredible. These things are, are you know, the, the night's action is wrapped up by 7 p.m. You're sitting there a lot of times watching games, uh, you know, midday, maybe sitting at the beach, taking in a, an East Coast game. So that part was neat, but I'm back. It, uh, I'm in rainy, cold Northern California, and, and we are ready to go. Uh, as always, I have brother, so many questions. I have so, I have what are your so questions? Many, you just want to keep running along. 
Do they we serve tell turkey? What we're talking about. <sighs> Go ahead. Do they serve turkey in in Hawaii? They serve turkey. Uh, I mean, of course they serve turkey. It's you know, it's, it's with Hawaii. a pineapple flair. Well, so we went with fish tacos for the Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> okay, um, so yeah, now we're so getting was, somewhere. Yeah, we went with fish tacos. We stay, you know, stayed in at the uh, the hotel that had a little barbecue joint right downstairs. So you could make the short walk and and have some quality time with the little ones. And and uh, and and the, the highlight of that part of the uh, experience was there's there's this extremely intelligent cat that hangs out by the barbecue and has got to be the best fed cat out there because he's getting mahi mahi from me one day he's getting shrimp from me the next and those are the kinds of things you're queuing up but we didn't go the turkey route we wanted to keep it local and kind of keep with the the hawaiian fare okay and so then the other one is you referenced maybe being on the beach watching the east coast games which if you're on vacation in hawaii shame on you for doing that but let's assume that you were is the drink in hand an orange juice a water a Miller Lite or a drink with a with an umbrella. Fair question, and, and the loyal listeners know we we do like to occasionally uh, you know discuss adult beverages on this program. Uh, the the drink of choice was something with rum in it. It was either nice. you know, a, a, a rum and, and diet Pepsi to keep it healthy, yeah. of course. Uh, free ad for Pepsi there, or or uh, you know the wine would be at night, or you know a pina colada is is the wife's favorite, so we would okay. go down that road. But certainly, you know, you, you got to do the smart play, though, and hit the grocery store early in the trip and stock up for whatever your taste might be, as opposed to paying, and, and I'm not exaggerating, the, the sticker price at the hotel of $13 for a Mai Tai. You, don't, you can't be doing that and, on the regular and, uh, and keeping some of that athletic money in your pocket. <laughs> well, listen, to close this up, um, zero people feel bad for you that you had to come home from Hawaii. I'll just tell you that. No, it's fair. I did. I, I told you this off air too, though. I laughed because um, you know Chad Ford, who has has done a, such a good job ch- covering the NBA for a long time for ESPN, is to my knowledge the only NBA writer who has successfully had a career from Hawaii covering the league. And, and I'd be lying to you if if that thought didn't cross my mind. I forget. I think he lived in Oahu. I believe he still does. I think he teaches out there actually. But but Chad, you know, lo and behold, is the one who figured this out a long time ago. Early games. Beautiful weather, and if you're well-connected enough, I, I feel like I could pull it off. You know what I mean? You can work the phones. Nobody's got to, you know, I'm not going to jump on the pod every week and talk about how beautiful Hawaii is. We would kind of be a little more subtle about it if, if that was the case. But, but you know, one of these days, these are, these are life goals here, Joe. I think that is one that you could convince your family to sign on to. Yes, absolutely. All right, Joe, let's take a quick break. When we get back, I want to ask you about Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn, Boston. I know you spent some time out there recently, but we will be right back. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, guys just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or they avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm not feeling it. Can we just go to bed? Pretending like the problem isn't there doesn't solve anything. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. 
With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com tampering and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com tampering. That's T-A-M-P-E-R-I-N-G to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com tampering for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com tampering. All right, so on this week's show, uh, the hoop discussion we're going to get into, and it's just Joe and I today, and we're fired up to have some good debates and good conversations. Um, Joe, we are essentially at the quarter point of the season, and, and that comes with it, you know, free reign to analyze what is real, what is not, what has surprised us, what has not, and get into things of that nature. That is definitely on the plate today. Uh, specifically, we want to talk MVP. The MVP race this year is as robust as I can remember, uh, fairly deep. I think we agree by and large that it's a four-person, four-man race right now. But even beyond the four that we'll get into, you've got some incredible individual seasons happening. Uh, so that will be on the program. But more specifically, you and I always try to get into where we've been, what we've been doing, and, and reporting-wise and, and the inside stuff. Uh, what's on our minds. I want to throw it to you because you spent a lot of time recently in Boston and we know from your Cleveland background, you know, the unique insight you have and perspective on Kyrie Irving, who is definitely on the short list of compelling characters this season, you know, this move to Brooklyn and everything that comes with it for him from a leadership standpoint, uh, you know, from a, uh, you know, from a, an optic standpoint coming off that season in Boston, uh, is a major storyline. So it was supposed to be Kyrie's reunion return to Boston. It didn't happen because he's hurt. But uh, thoughts, observations, takeaways, how was that Boston trip? So I walked into the media center at TD Garden on Monday night for Celtics and Kings, and Jackie McMullen and Tim Bontemps uh, from ESPN looked at me and both said, what the hell are you doing here? You you do realize Kyrie is not playing on Wednesday. Right. Um and so, yeah, I mean, that was that was certainly the buildup. I, I mean, as our listeners know or could maybe have caught on, like I've spent a lot of time in Brooklyn and with the Nets in the month of November. And part of it was to be ready for this, for Kyrie's return to a, a really hostile environment, probably even more so than what it was when he made his Cleveland return. Um, and then this shoulder injury that is still keeping him out, by the way, pops up and now the speculation begins when is he going to play will he play will he show up in Cleveland which he hasn't done in forever is he going to play even make the trip here for the Celtics and of course that that comes to pass um but it was still absolutely worth going it was absolutely a story and and I want to talk about that a, a little bit just from a, a couple of uh, just a couple of angles one is, as I mentioned, he was supposed to play the Cavs, um, the, the Nets did, here in Cleveland on the Monday and then uh, head on to Boston. So that was that would be a chance to talk to two different teams and two different sets of players who know him. And, of course, he canceled on Cleveland, and so I ended up flying to Boston. But before I did that, I spent some time talking with, with Tristan Thompson and, and Kevin Love and um, – 
both of them talking about how they are still friends with him and sort of who he is as a as a guy and what they learned from him and sort of how you have to treat him um just just to to understand who he is and then after the Boston game Monday night against the Kings, I spent some time with with Marcus Smart, and I spent some time with Jalen Brown, and I and I really I want to commend those guys. Yes, I know them both, um, so maybe that had something to do with it. But they were really good about talking about Kyrie directly and answering questions about him and something that is highly sensitive. And you know, Jalen certainly probably more than anybody on the Celtics. Um, bristled last year with Kyrie and really had a hard time with the way Kyrie was treating him. Marcus is is um more of a friend to Kyrie off the floor. Didn't love what was going on on it or in the locker room last year. Um but then the sense I got from them was especially with Marcus was was just like Ky- Kyrie was going through something last year. And the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks is when he told me that he still texts Kyrie just to make sure he's still okay. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, on the one hand, yes, Kyrie had mentioned that his this grandfather died early last year and he was dealing with that. Um, I don't know, you know, I mean, we don't know to what degree they, they had a relationship. I don't think it was um, – I, I don't know how close they were, and, and you, you know, we don't know how the death of any one individual hits us. Um, but it was very clear that that Kyrie was dealing with one or multiple issues. Um, and then, right before that game, right before the game against the Nets, I spoke with him on Shumpert and um, spoke at, at length with him because he is actively friends with Kyrie and actively his teammate in Brooklyn and also played with him for all those years in Cleveland. And he was talking about how Kyrie, yeah, he's rich and yes, he's famous. Um, but just because you're those things, you, you know, the public at large just expects you to deal with things, expects you to deal with whatever problems you have in public, uh, address them, you know, own them and carry on um and and you know basically we all can't be lebron was 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 one of the, the some of the points that that iman was making and that he was suggesting that the celtics just treated him like an alien it was the the word that he used like if you treat him like an alien then you don't know how to talk to him then that is how kyrie is going to act that if you treat him like a normal dude he can be a normal dude and and iman also said Hey, um, you know, the, the thing about Kyrie is he doesn't speak all the time and he he lets some of these things just go. And then when he does speak, he's not politically correct. And that's why I'm friends with him, because he's not just trying to say the right thing, which gets us to um, <laughs> right after the game and, and right after, you know, you could hear the Celtic uh, crowd, you know, ripping Kyrie, even though he's not there saying he sucks and this and that and the other. And I'm sure the entire ESPN broadcast was about that. Um, I don't know. I I was watching live and writing. But he takes the Instagram and he says this. It happens all the time and tonight just shows how sports entertainment will always be ignorant and obtrusive. It's one big show that means very, very little in the real world that most people live in because there are actually things that matter going on within it. Like figuring out a life that means more to you than a damn ball going into a hoop 
or learning how to grow up being in a fishbowl of a society based on your popularity level as a person, or even dealing with becoming the leader of your family after someone's passing and not knowing how to deal with life after it happens. But this game of sports entertainment matters more than someone's mental health and well-being, right? And he goes on and on. Um, Listening to everything I just told you, and I wrote a bunch of it, uh, I didn't write all of it, um, and then hearing Kyrie say that, I mean, he's screaming to us, and his the people close to him are screaming to us that that something's really going on with him. Don't you think? I do. I mean, listen, and I can't pretend to have any idea what. Uh, on the one hand, it, it's an interesting discussion from the mental health standpoint because, uh, you know, I, I think the sensitive, mature thing to do would be a to. For all of us to, you know, be the first to admit we have no clue what he's going through. B, to, you know, pull back a little bit on the hot take scrutiny about how it impacts the way that he operates. Uh, it's hard, though, because within the context of the pro sports world, I think certain things do not change. A locker room dynamic needs to be healthy in order for a team to succeed, and, and that relies on a certain level of um I guess consistency uh, from everybody therein, and and that's where the stuff. When I saw Kyrie's post and everything you said is on point, I, I think it's hard to not have that that kind of every man takeaway as a fan side say, okay, this is also why you know each of these guys, is, the max guys, is getting forty million dollars a year, and so from on the entertainment side of this discussion. I'm just being honest. I do struggle from that. It doesn't mean I'm any less sensitive to what he might be going through, but, but, you know, calling out the entire system, acting as if it's a, it's a complete fraud and a facade um, when it's really a a hell of a show that David Stern, Adam Silver and and all the greats uh, on the court for these past 30, 40 years built. I mean, it's a hell of a thing. And the players of today's era are benefiting from it. And, and that's the part where only he can understand where his head is at. Uh, I think there's plenty of players who are in different headspaces in this era who would simply say, yeah, the spotlight gets too bright and I get tired of, you know, the aggregation and, and the hot takes and folks scrutinizing every move you make, but it comes with a pretty incredible benefit. So there's a lot of nuance there, but, but yes, to your question, it does sound like a guy who is screaming out for some help. And, and even Joe, something you said earlier on that struck me was that, when Marcus tells you, I think it was Marcus, yeah. that you know that that Kyrie, if you don't treat him like an alien, he can be a regular guy. I feel like that's a chicken of the egg type thing. I mean, forget about basketball. All of us know people in life where it's like, all right, buddy, like you can say that, but you are the one who creates this vibe and this dynamic to to where people have a hard time treating you a certain way because of the way you carry yourself, and that's where it gets so hard. Is you know, do people do that with him simply because he's such a, a huge name? I don't know. I think it might have a little more to do with just kind of the, the wiring that, that comes with him. Um, I do think, last thought, on the mental health front, I had somebody bring this up to me recently, and I think it's a really fair point, is that as it pertains to the analysis of the net situation this year, we in the media do need to be careful because we have, we have done two things on two tracks within the last year that are that do not reconcile which is that we have had a healthier discussion about mental health i had a story in the summer you know breaking the news about the nba's new program and the fact that every team is now uh you know essentially obligated to have at least one mental health professional 
on retainer and on staff. That's a, a step forward in the right direction. We need to learn as much as possible about all of those uh, those topics and also just be sensitive in general to your, your fellow man and woman. But then we analyze an individual team situation like the Nets, and we very readily talk about how, you know, hey, Joe, why do you think Kyrie's so moody? Can you believe this guy? You know what I mean? And, and that sensitivity goes out the window. I don't know how you you know, split the difference there. But I think, you know, you probably get a sense of, of what I'm saying. Well, that is kind of that. That was, I guess, the angle or the approach I took to the story. I wrote um, the, the angle for first thoughts after the, the Nets and Celtics, which we still went ahead and did, even though he wasn't there. And that was because of the, I think, the magnitude of the story. And it, it, it's it's exactly what you just said, is that Already, twice this year, there have been two stories or suggestions, one written, one on the radio by Stephen A., but two from ESPN who say, Kyrie's moody. This is a problem. This is a problem with the Nets. And obviously, we know the narrative last year and the damage caused there. And then obviously, when he pushed his way out of Cleveland... Uh, what 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 followed all that? Well, you know, d- just how upset he was with LeBron and how much he wanted the spotlight and this and that and the other. And <laughs> at, at no point in in sort of this narrative has anybody said, "Whoa, wait a minute, um, th- th- there is something wrong with him that need that we need to help him with." Um, you know, like as as you said, mental health like the, is has is certainly on its path to becoming destigmatized. And thank goodness, because um, so many of us need help, and and it that it should be okay to get it. Um, but you know, with the Kyrie situation, we're just talking about how some very very real things that could go way beyond basketball, like he's talking about, like things that are very deep rooted. Um, that that are affecting him now in his day to day life and how he how he's able to come to work every day, right. um, and you know no one's we're we're talking about a guy who's a six time All Star, a champion who hit you know the game winning shot over the Warriors uh, in in Game Seven, uh, shot that you know nobody will ever forget. Um, rookie of the year in 2011. I mean, obviously, Max Player, one of the most gifted players with the ball in his hands that we that we have in the league, and his reputation is a mess. And you could say, well, you know, it's because of the way he acts, and and he's done this. And and I just think there's another side to this of there may be an explanation there as to why he's acting right. this way. Well, and yeah. And I think I think, and you're you're helping me get a little closer to where I think that meeting in the middle moment is. Um, I think media wise, that it is 100% fair game to report on the way that that a, an athlete's personality or actions are impacting the team. Uh, I think what we gotta we need to get away from is just simply the stigmatizing of that. And I even if I'm looking in the mirror and being honest, if I could hit the rewind button and, and go back and kind of analyze the way that I covered DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. There were times when, you know, his behavior 100% was part of the story because it impacted the team. Um, We were at a different time in terms of discussing mental health publicly then. And and I think the way DeMarcus got described a lot was, it was with that sense of like, what's wrong with him? Why does he act this way? But it's that overarching accusation of, well, there's something, there's just something wrong with this athlete. Uh, rather than trying to 
A, again, either admit that you don't know, but there probably is something there that's happening uh, and or clinical. And then B, that, you know, you just have a certain sensitivity with how you discuss it. Kyrie being moody is a story. It just should be probably, you know, handled with 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 more sophisticated vernacular. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. how, what you replace Moody with, um, but, you know, Kevin Durant was part of that type of a, a narrative last year uh, with the Warriors. And, and so certainly it's fascinating that those two guys end up together in Brooklyn. But, you know, the Warriors kind of in, in the dark corners of Oracle Arena would be very willing to admit that his ups and downs were challenging at times for the team. So, again, like it's newsworthy to highlight that, um, but it just I don't think it always has to come with that tone of whether it's judgment or or just, you know, the, again, the stigmatizing of it is, I think, the problem. Oh, man, <laughs> that, that's so right. And, you know, Kevin Love, who is at the forefront, along with DeMar DeRozan, of sort of talking about this in a way to kind of to, to open up the doors and, and, and lead to some healing and to just getting away from this idea that you know because you're dealing with anxiety or depression that 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 is something that others don't deal with and you should be ashamed of it um but along with that sam is exactly what you're saying until it was addressed in cleveland it ripped that team apart uh right th- that kevin's kevin's problems which were being kept quiet um until he was ready to discuss this uh ripped the locker room limb from limb was the cause of a fight um, that that basically resulted in a couple weeks later of the general manager trading half the roster, including LeBron's best friend, Dwayne Wayne, at a time where they ended up needing somebody like him in the finals coming off the bench. I mean, like, it's very, very serious. And so now... Which fight am I forgetting? Or are you, you oh, just the, talking... The, where Kevin, Kevin left the game... Yeah, I remember that. Of yeah, course. and 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 then didn't show up for practice the next day, and it was right. because of all this stuff. And the, the guys on the team didn't know that, and so Dwayne and Isaiah Thomas, right? Yeah, I didn't know if you meant a physical fight. Yeah. No, no, no. But I mean, yeah, it, it, but it got very. No punches were thrown, but it got very ugly, right. very personal. And they never that team never recovered. They right. traded. They traded it, and he wasn't working out anyway. But but they traded him. They traded Dwayne. Like a Paul was over that locker room until those trades, and it, it it had it had to do with that. So when we nonchalantly say, "Well, Kyrie's moody," or we start hinting around again that, well, you know, Kyrie's attitude is is causing a problem in Brooklyn. Like one, he actually has a bunch of friends on that team. Like DeAndre Jordan is there. That's a close personal friend. I told you about Shumpert. Obviously, Kevin Durant is. Durant is his guy. So if guys on the team are pissed at Kyrie or, or don't like the way he's acting, I mean, these are players who are not nearly as decorated as him and and not just as him, which was the case in Boston, but as several other members of that team. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, Kevin Durant is a champion a bunch of times over and DeAndre Jordan, you know, was all league at one time and all that. So um do have to be careful with that, and I just wish the the discussion was a little bit more encompassing about what might be going on with him. I agree. I agree. Now this is the uh, this is you know the media therapy session where we talk honestly about the way we cover these guys. I think it's healthy, and uh, and, and I think it's something that's going to evolve. I mean, if you fast forward ten fifteen years, I guarantee you the the tone of the discussion relating to athletes and mental health is going to be, I would assume, uh, even healthier than it is now.
Joe, do you ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. No, Sam, I, I do not wonder whatsoever because I use StockX, okay? hey I'm a StockX guy. And the reason why is because like my thing since becoming an NBA reporter six years ago now is is I have become a sneakerhead. It, it wasn't – in my old job, I just used to wear whatever pair of brown leather shoes or black leather shoes depending on the suit. And now, you know, we don't, we don't look like bankers anymore. And part of that is we got to dress it up with our feet, got to bring the fire. And that is how I use StockX. I'm always looking for the hottest pair of, of Nike Air Max and – and I, I think the latest example is, you know, Thanksgiving just passed at the holidays. Uh, both myself and a couple of my cousins that were there, uh, some of my sister's family, were all sneakerheads, right? And so it's like you, this little get together at my sister's house is really like a shoe, uh, a shoe off, if you will. And I come in with some Air Max 95 with multicolors, like some pink and and blue and yellow and black and just kind of all over the place. And my cousin comes in with some Air Max 270s with just pastels all over the bottoms and some graffiti on the sides. Where did we get them? You got it. Stock Stock X. X. Look at you. I like it. I got to say, I'm going to have to hit it soon uh, on our little Hawaii getaway. I might have taken my – I don't have the the product name because I'm not a sneakerhead like Joe, but I'll get there. My my Nike that are bright red, like wetsuit material, they they got trashed in a – North Coast hike, so I need to replace those puppies on StockX. One in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. Joe, I know, uh, again, you were doing the Brooklyn-Boston thing. Um, real quickly, on my side, we wanted to dive into the more personal reporting that we've been doing. And even though I did have that little getaway, uh, the Lakers had been front and center for me before I, I got away, and it was a, a story that I think has, even with their loss uh, last night to Dallas, has plenty of shelf life uh, when it comes to this Lakers team and how good they have been. And specifically, the coaching staff is what I wanted to analyze and explore because I felt like it was this subplot that had been very quickly forgotten within their their hot start. If you go back to the summertime, they decide to part ways with Luke Walton. Everybody saw that coming. Uh, they conceivably target Ty Lue. At that point, with his LeBron James connection and the assumption in most circles was that that deal was going to get done and Ty Lue would be the next Lakers coach. Uh, Ty, and and well within his right to do this, was not content or not happy with the uh, kind of the tone of those discussions and the offer that came his way. Um, And so that doesn't happen. They they look at Monty Williams and they... uh, Sorry, Joe. I was uh, we, Jade can edit this here. I was reading a text that came through um, <laughs> from me, <laughs> from you. Yes, I thought I thought you were mad at me for changing subjects. I had to make sure we were good. No, um, that's good. Yeah, but and so the the coaching staff winds up being Frank Vogel as your head coach. And I'm just doing a brief recap here for anybody who somehow was uh, living in a hole. But then they they add Jason Kidd, uh, you know, former. Nets and Bucks coach and a guy who, who, you know, comes with a pretty healthy amount of baggage when it comes to the way he operates and specifically the way he left Brooklyn, the way he got to Milwaukee, kind of left a bad taste on a lot of people's mouths. And 
put him fair or not with the reputation of somebody who come hell or high water is going to do what's best for him. And so when you now become the lead assistant coach on a team with the star power like these Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the assumption had been watch out Frank Vogel, look over, you know, watch your back. Jason Kidd's coming. And and Frank was kind of, you know, I don't think showing a whole lot of respect publicly in this process. And so fast forward to the here and the now. And again, even with that loss to the Mavs, uh, you got a Lakers team that is tied with the, the league's best record with the Bucks at 17 and three, uh, playing really, really good ball coming off a 10 game winning streak, fifth best defense in the league. More importantly, what I tried to write about and, and get into and that I did enjoy doing was to get unique perspective from some of the defensive minded older heads in that locker room. So I targeted Avery Bradley, who at the time wasn't hurt, but since had a, has had a shoulder issue that he's dealing with, Rajon Rondo, and then our buddy Bill Oram, who does a great job covering the Lakers on the beat, had grabbed uh, Jared Dudley for me. And then, last but definitely not least, a conversation with Vogel himself about what he's trying to, to accomplish. The, the takeaway across all those people, Joe, that, that I did not see coming a couple months ago is a universal approval rating you know, through the roof. Uh, thumbs up from Rondo, thumbs up from Bradley, and certainly from Dudley, and, and talking about Vogel being the kind of coach who is extremely candid and, and you know, very willing to say uncomfortable things in film sessions to push players like Dwight Howard and tell them point blank that you have become an undisciplined defender and I can help you with this, um, you know, to actually coach LeBron in the kind of way that sends a message to the rest of the room that, you know, that, that you know, that you got to listen and I think establishes respect. And then Dudley highlighting the fact that, because he spent time with Jason Kidd in Milwaukee that in his, you know, his kind of unique through his unique filter and through that lens that he does not see a, a coach in Jason who is looking at Frank's job and, and waiting in the wings to take over. He sees a guy who is laughing with him during timeouts that, that has a certain level of kind of uh, chemistry and that, you know, by all accounts, it's going really well so far. I know that is very easy to say when you're 17 and three and we'll see how it looks when the, the rough waters come and they do have a, a pretty tough schedule in December, but uh, all in all uh, they're doing good work so far. So going back to the summer again, and the, the, there were two, two basic uh, narratives when it came to Frank. One is they ended up taking him instead of hiring LeBron's coach. Is LeBron really going to respect this guy? Right. And then the, the other one was, like I think, like you had kind of alluded to there, um, how long until Jason Kidd is the coach? Right. That's that, that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> I mean, given one what we've seen to be the case on all sides, and then secondly, um, just the sort of the track record that that Frank had built in in Indiana, and this, this certainly isn't meant to say that I told you so because all of us were saying, "Wow." The Lakers are a mess, um, and then we were saying that all the way through what they did with their coaching search and and how it it all it all sh- uh, shook out. So it's a feel good story for one. From the LeBron perspective, I did say at the time that I thought he would respect Frank for two reasons: one, because he played against them in the playoffs so often with Miami and Cleveland, and had really grown to respect him and had had. Uh, mentioned him when he, he used to LeBron used to mess with David Blatt all the time and he would do it through the media and he would say shit um, 
that he knows would get picked up and he that he he knew he was making comparisons to kind of slight David and one of them was he used to do this all the time he used to name coaches who he just thought were great and so Brad Stevens would be out there that'd be one pop would be one and then um Frank got on that list so I was watching for that and then the other one was LeBron had to make this work Last year was a disaster in Los Angeles, and we've talked a hundred times about how his legacy is set because of all the winning in Miami and Cleveland and whatever, all the the accolades and the numbers. But last year was really bad, and if if his career had ended along those lines, um, it would be a knock against him. And so he needed this to work. He's totally bought in. Frank's playing him as a point guard. He's uh, getting all kinds of stuff out of him defensively, which is which is just great. And um, and then the the last point I would make is just staying with LeBron, but how that affects everybody else. Um, when a coach addresses LeBron like that and coaches him in a film session, when there trust me, there is a lot to coach him on defensively, just to call him out because he just you know over the last couple of years he just doesn't try as hard over there, and to have have a coach call him out in the room on that. For one, it makes LeBron respect him. LeBron actually craves that, as pissed as he might be in the in the the moment it happens. He actually craves that kind of coaching. And then two, when the rest of the room sees that, it just enables them to buy in in a way that they can't if LeBron is not being coached when he deserves it. Right, and all of that, I, I think, to tie it up, falls in line with the, the fact that if you, and I got my, my stories in front of me here, but the, the first line of the piece had said, even LeBron James's closest associates didn't know how this late in coaching relationship might work, which is to say that going into the year, you know, when I took a pulse on what does LeBron think of Frank, how is that relationship going so far, even folks who typically might take the politically correct road, even on background and kind of say, oh, they're great, they're fantastic, pretty candidly said, oh, you know how this goes. I mean, if they get off to a bad start, it's probably not going to be great. You know what I mean? Like that's yep. that's how this goes. And it, it has gone well. And none of which is to say, too, that it's certainly not perfect. Even <clears throat> in the public sphere, there was an interesting moment that I caught in Phoenix that I, I think is kind of worth you know logging and monitoring going forward because, again, it's not always going to go this well. Uh, they're playing the Suns. They're having a tight game. And this this is what's so funny about what we do, Joe, is because – you know, one man's kind of, uh, what am I trying to say here? Like this moment could be perceived as either, you know, shared respect and teamwork, or if, if times are tougher, uh, a player undermining a coach. So Frank took, went to take LeBron out of the game late against the Suns. I forget. I think it was third quarter. And, and LeBron just didn't agree with the move. He was putting Caruso in. And there was a moment where LeBron was essentially waving Frank off. And, and that's the kind of thing that, were they 500 at the time if they were in the news as a team that was underperforming um even in my shoes like i would have probably made a bigger deal out of that right then um but when the going is good you tend to give more of the benefit of the doubt and you tend to kind of just again log it away and say you know how does that moment look when they've they've had a, a sub 500 month and everybody's not in as good of a mood because Frank even addressed that moment later uh, with the local media and, and essentially talked about how he respects LeBron's judgment. And in that moment, he makes a decision to kind of say, okay, I hear you. That's fine. We'll go ahead and leave you in. 
But <clears throat> those are those are the things that are part of this process for them and everybody else in the league is that you're spending more time with this group of people than you are your family. And, and you know, how do these dynamics work? But all in all, uh, I think this coaching staff is doing a really good job. The mix they have with Phil Handy as a guy, their assistant coach who has, you know, been to five consecutive finals with the Cavs and the Raptors and, and now part of this group. Uh, he's your on-court guy pregame with the Stars, um, connecting with LeBron and AD and all the role players as well. Uh, it just seems like they're, uh, you know, their players are pretty happy with this group so far. Well, wait a minute. Um, what what happened? Did did LeBron leave the game? He stayed, no, he stayed in. No, he, he waved Frank off okay. and stayed in the game. So, I mean, that happened. Like, he's done that to everybody. Um and I, I guess when you are him, I, I, you can get away with that. Um, th- that is something that is so fascinating when you start talking about LeBron's minutes and rotations and things like that. Like he he can be hard to manage from that perspective because if he wants to play, like he's he's going to play. Um, right. So that's interesting. I wonder. I, it'll be yeah. I mean that that is. Uh, I wonder what Frank thought of that. I wish I had that in front of me. Uh, the you know to paraphrase what his reaction was again was he he downplayed it and and essentially said that he trusted LeBron's judgment and so he chose to uh, to kind of let it ride. I'm trying to go through my old text messages here with uh, with again our buddy Bill Orham because we had texted about this moment in the moment uh, when we were in Phoenix, um, but it's it also I think speaks to the collaborative nature of their group. They are trying to pull something off collectively between the coaching staff and these players that I don't, you know, I mean, it's, it's extremely rare when you combine, you know, hall of fame basketball brains like LeBron and AD with uh, an extremely experienced coaching staff, which I was remiss not to mention Lionel Hollins, another former head coach who was on the staff and, and certainly who by all accounts is doing good work, but you've got, so three, you know, the one current head coach, but, but three guys, who have been head coaches before, and then two guys. I mean, AD has never been the vocal type of superstar to be a, a, a unofficially a player slash coach, but he's an extremely prominent player. And then LeBron, at this point, if he retired, you know, today, uh, he could get a coaching job tomorrow, and and he could be wearing that different hat, and certainly, you know, more than smart enough to to do that job. So, putting all that into the gumbo and trying to figure it out is, I think, going to be something that'll be worth watching all year. I got to tell you the story before we go to our uh, quarter season stuff. It's amazing that this happened in Phoenix, and it's happened all over the league with LeBron. So, you know, you could say, well, it's just another night in the NBA. But Phoenix was the place where he was going to make his return after he basically took a two-week vacation um, from the Cavs. It was his first year back. Um, his body wasn't feeling great, but there were injuries w- within the team and the roster need reshuff- reshuffling. And then he was just so crazy and despondent over what he thought were David Blatt's shortcomings that he just needed a break. And they gave it to him. They said it was, you know, managing a, a back and a knee. But listen, it, in another circumstance, he would have been playing, but he didn't right. play. He was gone for two weeks. So then <laughs> there's this buildup. There's this buildup like uh, they make all these trades, like the team's going to turn around. The the Buckeyes are playing in the national championship game 
um, in Dallas against uh, Oregon, and LeBron flies himself from Phoenix down there and then back the night before he's supposed to make his return. And then he finally comes back, and he scores 30-something. But in the game, there is a there's an argument between David and a ref, and like LeBron afterwards was saying he was just trying to keep David from getting a technical, but he absolutely put both hands on his coach and shoved him backwards. And it was one right. of the most remarkable things you've ever seen, in, in the, especially in these four years of just total lunacy and things you'd never see again. Here you have it. Uh, LeBron back from vacation that he basically took because he was just nuts over the coach. And what's he do? He shoves him. Amazing. Crazy. I mean, that that is, again, that's the backdrop, though, right? That's the stuff that where you've seen the worst-case scenario. You've seen where it can go. And even, you know, you brought up last year. Um, the word uncomfortable comes to mind with a, a handful of LeBron, the dynamics between LeBron and his coaches. The Luke thing wasn't anywhere near the level of David Blatt, but it was, you know, but I would also call it uncomfortable. I remember commenting to a, a fellow uh, colleague reporter late in the season about how LeBron had somehow managed to go almost the entire season without ever speaking about Luke Walton. Now, part of that is he was not getting grilled about Luke Walton to the low, you know, by the local media, but nonetheless, like he was allowed to not give his opinion on his coach for a lot of the year. And I think he was more than happy to be in that position because he didn't want to be the bad guy. And we all knew where that story was going. The Blatt thing, I certainly was not around it as much as, as you were on a daily basis, but uncomfortable comes to mind, you know, and to a much different level there. I mean, I, I just, I have a weird, this is a, a kind of a random aside, Joe, but a, a trigger for me, I'm, I'm not big on, on bullies and I, and I, I get irritated quickly when I see that type of, of kind of behavior. And I'll be honest that season in a weird kind of way, I kind of, I was annoyed by LeBron because I thought that that was the tone he was taking with Vlad. It's like, listen, if you don't respect him, then just speak your mind and say it. But he was playing games. He was doing the type of things that you talked about earlier. And, and Blad didn't make it any easier because he just compounded it every time he stepped in front of a microphone. Um, you know, but that dynamic uh, has been so uncomfortable in the past. And, and again, so far this year, uh, that does not appear to be there. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> and now we're, we're kind of going down a hole uh, or like a rabbit hole on this, um, which is, is easy to do. LeBron's thing was when they fired David uh, the following season. I mean, yes, they had been to the finals the year before. The Cavs were in first place at 30-11 and 11 when they did it. Um, and so LeBron was kind of being labeled as a coach killer, like this was his fault. And he was – he was um, I, I, don't know, I don't know if crushed is the right word to say that, but he was visibly upset by that. I, I had a conversation with him right at the time, so frustrated just because he felt like in this case – um, that that David just just wasn't right for the job, and that there was all these examples as to why, and all these things that LeBron had to do to make up for it, and and um, so there is a whole thing to it. But yeah, I mean, it was no, it's fair. I mean, listen, and you again, you know better than I do. But David came with a, a resume that certainly commanded respect. But then, if you're just talking about the old eyeball test and that. You know, during that era, that time, I mean, it, it didn't pass it. You know, it was by a long shot. Um, the way he carried himself, it was not with a sense of authority. 
the way that he spoke about his team and the inner workings of his team uh, it did not send that message that, that he had a grip on the situation. So I can only imagine having the kind of influence that you have when you're somebody like LeBron and having to on a nightly basis you know, find that happy medium where you don't fully speak your mind, but you don't, you're not disingenuous in how you react to your coach either. So, uh, again, that's, that's what the Lakers group needs to uh, try to avoid. So, all right. And so right with that, um, we're at the quarter pole. Lakers are doing great. Uh, LeBron, is he your MVP? He is not. He is not. I'm going to stick with, uh, with the, with the guy that, that won it last year and who uh, I did not vote for last year. I voted for James Harden last year. Um, I, I'll preface it with this, um, and we'll get into this in a second here as we break down the MVP stuff. The the level of kind of historical context with the guys that we're going to talk about is just on a different just different level. It's insane. Um, the things that are being done by the, the four that we have off-air agreed is, is Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, James Harden, and Luka Doncic. Um, we like top fives and top five lists, so we can have a little fun in a second here saying if you had to pick a fifth guy, who that might be. But I think it's Giannis. And at this point, listen, I, I'm, I'm allowed to keep it fairly simple with the analysis because we are nowhere near having to vote. Um, but best record in the league, uh, a guy who certainly plays both ends of the floor and who in terms of production, and, and this falls right in line with uh, what I wrote about him earlier in the year when, when he had said to me that, that I can get better, and that's the scary part, is that his production coming off an MVP year has not only – it's not an uptick. I mean, it's gone up quite a bit, almost four points uh, or you know three-plus uh, points per game in scoring, um, about a rebound. Uh, his assists, his playmaking are at the same level. So 30, almost 31 points, 13-and-a-half boards and six assists. And again, for the quick historical context, Joe, as I go through my windows here and try to find that that window, uh, those numbers have never been done. Um, the only folks in the in the ballpark are Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor, and then and Wilt did it a second time. Um, but Giannis is my guy right now, and uh, I have a feeling that that you're going to go with a a familiar name on on your side. I'm sitting here trying to count up. Um, on my phone, the number of Bucks wins in a row. They've won like a shitload of games in a row. Um, but in this winning streak, which is substantial, it might even be double digits. Um, you know, yeah, they beat the Pacers. 11 in a row. Yeah, the Thunder, that's a good win. Um, the Jazz, that was a nice one at home. Big high-scoring game. But otherwise, they just... You know, we made we've we've made this big deal about how the Lakers really haven't played anybody, but the Bucks really haven't either. And so, I knew who that Giannis was having a great year, and certainly in the the MVP conversation, um, I was going in the direction of LeBron. If I had to vote today, I would vote for him. He's playing a little bit differently than he's ever played before, which I really like. At age thirty four, about to be thirty five. His 10.9 assists per game are through the roof a career high, not even close. Um, and yes, he, he is their primary ball handler, uh, but his usage rate is, you know, it, it's not like it's outrageously higher than it's ever been um, 
certainly in the last several years, the, the way they used him in Cleveland. So he's he's distributing the ball. Uh, he's still scoring it at 26 per. Um, he's still getting his rebounds. He's defending unlike he has in years, which I think speaks volumes. And just That part's have, huge. Yeah, yeah and, and then just to have that team um, where they are. Like, I, I don't feel like Anthony Davis has been um, an MVP, MVP yet. Uh, I, I think he has made a tremendous difference and I think of course his presence is is like why the Lakers are so much different than they were last year but LeBron has been their best player and so I, I do like best player best team arguments but I was making that argument when it was the Lakers who had had the best record and now as you point out it, it is actually the Bucks and Giannis is there um, the, the thing is over the well, last they seven, are just a I highlight that point. They're in the same boat when it comes to level of competition because I looked it up yeah. here. The the Lakers' entire 10-game winning streak came against teams with losing records. Yeah. Yeah, so so right. So that's I mean that's that's all there. Um the, you know, James Harden is on just a, a scoring pace that is historic and we say that every year except this time we really really mean it. Um I I he wasn't there for me See, like last week, uh, Tim Bontemps, who gets another name drop here on our pod, uh, second one today. He every year he he polls this. Like throughout the year, he polls um, likely voters. Sam and I are in that group uh, of you know for various awards, and and he did his first MVP poll last week. He did the five. Like Sam said, the top four were unanimous according to Tim. And then nobody could figure out a fifth. Just to mess around, I, th- I threw Bradley Beal's name out there. I recognize what the Wizards' record is. Um, but Harden I had Carl was, Anthony Towns for the that record. a boy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harden was not number one for me, and, and and it was in part because like they had kind of a lousy start. You know, like they they went to Miami and Brooklyn and were giving up 150 points and and you know getting their ass kicked every now and then, and just wasn't. You know, it was it, they were one of those teams or a veteran team that doesn't really start paying attention until after Halloween, um, and so I gave them an early demerit for that. But if if this continues, if the Rockets continue to win games and James scores and plays like this, I will vote for him. That's the thing, and and I told you this before coming on too. Again, to go back to the history because I'm a sucker for leaning on the history to help me with voting. And, and I guess to get into the, the, the voting kind of process for me, which I think some people might find interesting just as far as how voters look at this stuff is, you know, you got to know the context. You got to know, you know, how rare is it, what, what's happening, uh, you know, in the, in the context of history. So James Harden, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 38. And, uh, and, and, you know, we, we look at the scoring, but it's definitely not ending there. Almost eight assists a game and six rebounds. Uh, that line has never happened uh, in, in league history. And the only other folks who are into uh, into that territory are Tiny Archibald and, and Allen Iverson, uh, but not even close scoring-wise. AI was down at uh, – he had 33 points. Find the assist here. Uh, 33, uh, seven and a half 
back in 0506. Uh, so what James is doing has never been done. You could argue that what LeBron's doing has never been done once you factor in the 11 assisted game. Uh, not, not that it's never been done, but it's rarefied air. Uh, you're talking about Russell Westbrook and Oscar Robertson, names like that. So there's not really, I don't think, a, a, a bad pick. Uh, and we have not even, among those four, we haven't even mentioned Luka Doncic, who is coming in at, at 30 points, almost 10 assists a game. And uh, and almost ten rebounds. I mean, you could make a very strong argument that Luca is your MVP right now, and and I don't know that I could get mad at you for it. So that's if you had to. And this is a good segue to our last segment on the show today. If you had to, for me, highlight a surprise on the MVP front, it's obviously Luca. This is a guy who burst on the scene last year. Had Hawks fans wondering if Trey Young should have been the pick there in that trade. Had Kings fans wondering if Marvin Bagley should have been the guy. Had Suns fans even wondering about DeAndre Ayton. Uh, it's one thing to be a young, promising, productive player. It is quite another to be a shortlist MVP candidate in your second year. Yeah, it really is. I think he's. I think he and they probably have to be. I, I think the number one surprise through the quarter mark here of this season, it's to see what he's doing in his second year. Um, LeBron was not this good his second year, for instance, um, did not have this kind of impact uh, on the Cavs in year two. They didn't even make the playoffs, um, actually. Uh, or Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs the second, his second year, um, if, if memory serves. So, you know, the Mavericks still have a long way to go, but... Uh, between him and and with the addition of of Porzingis, that that has worked out well, and the Mavericks um, are, are just they're really competitive and and really good every night, and and Luca is uh, is must must watch, which you know again you just don't necessarily see that out of a second year guy. Hundred percent, and uh, so we're going against our normal nature. You picked a West Coast uh, storyline for your surprise. Uh, I'm going to throw it your way on the East and. And chat for a minute about these Toronto Raptors. I mean, yeah. Joe, you know, we were there in June. We saw, you know, Kawhi Leonard and company get the job done. And, and Kawhi was so much of that load on his back uh, and playing incredible ball and, and winning that championship. I mean, if I would have told you back in mid-July after Kawhi paired up with Paul George and, and we thought that that Raptors team was going to be decimated. I mean, they had to evaluate the roster. They had to decide what to do with Pascal Siakam uh, extension-wise and, and whether or not they wanted to pay him max money. They ultimately did that. Uh, you know, you, you've got extremely accomplished, proud players uh, still around and, and Kyle Lowry, Marcus Gasol, and, and, and Fred Van Vliet coming into his own. But my God, I mean, the idea that they would not only be respectable, but be, uh, you know, atop the Eastern Conference almost with the Bucks, 15-4, and four, at the moment, uh, playing incredible basketball is is uh, is probably my surprise. I'm sorry. Um, I just got a text message that has to do with my son's rec league basketball uh, season that starts this week. Okay. And one of the coaches, uh, one of the coaches' emails, and I'm not going to say his first name just so. You know, this guy doesn't start getting emails from our listeners, but 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 the coach's email is literally uh, X for his name, so X Booty Fest at Yahoo dot com. That guy is going to be coaching <laughs> nine year olds. X Booty Fest uh, wow. dot com. Wow. Right. Yeah, the Raptors. Uh, speaking of Booty Fest, uh, yeah, they've you know, I'm going up there 
not this week, but next week for Kawhi's return. He's going to get his ring. And I mean, it's a story. It's a, it's been on my schedule since before the start of the year. I'm going to do first thoughts. And the whole time, the plan was just to be looking at just the devastation and 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 how Kawhi, like how much they invested in trying to keep him, and how his set his departure set them back in a way that, like, you know, I mean, it forced a rebuild. Um, obviously, not as severe as what happens when LeBron leaves places, but like along those lines. And part of it was the Raptors themselves were talking about how, well, you know, we our, our contracts are such that we can rebuild if we have to. Um, and here they are. They're as good as anybody right now in, in the league. They defend. Um, they play system basketball, maybe even more so than they did when they had Kawhi. I think that's one of the sacrifices that they made a little bit. Um, they can ask a little bit more of buy-in from their players because they don't have to make an exception for Kawhi. They don't have to load manage him, which was an issue certainly last year. And, uh, and Siakam is just we thought that he could have a breakout year but to be i guess among the better players in the league now filling in where in that position that spot where Kawhi played is is great and so now they are as a much of a story about the remarkable success that they are enjoying the year after you know we've made such a big deal or at least i have sam um not only about what happens to teams when lebron leaves but then also that like the way they lost Kawhi was unprecedented it had only happened one other time in nba history where um a uh, a, a reigning finals mvp doesn't play for you um and that was when michael jordan retired um but it has never happened where a reigning finals mvp goes to another team so this should have been a bomb that went off and instead um they are <laughs> just an outrageously fun and good story uh success story that just is is so rare so good for them they are indeed and this is the fun part of of having your own podcast you're allowed to uh to completely reverse course on something you said previously um i'm hereby substituting carl anthony towns as the fifth mvp with pascal siakam okay uh he is one of four players this season averaging at least 25 points eight boards and four assists uh the other three uh the aforementioned mr towns luka Doncic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. um and what they are doing has got to get probably even more respect than it has been. I've been reading our our, our buddies uh, north of the border at the Athletic, Eric Kareem, Blake Murphy, and those guys. And and one of them the other the other day had a headline about how the you know the Raptors surprise season is it is the story of the year. And I I thought to myself that they're probably right, but it doesn't feel that way right now. We are not to that point. It's it's uh, it is surprising. We are highlighting it. We're talking about it on this show. It is not front and center. Uh, all over the league in the way that maybe it should be. 15 and 4 is no joke. Uh second best net rating in the league uh at plus 8.8. Um you know like you said they play both ends of the floor, fifth best offense and where they are uh, defensively second best uh in the league. So, um incredible stuff. Yeah. So I want it's it's uh we're done for for the most part. Um 
there was one thing that we wrote down. See, Sam and I had a nice little uh, pregame chat here where we were kind of working through how we were going to do this today. Uh, which, by the way, I had a lot of fun doing this today. It's it just was good. You, it's good. It's fun. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean. I enjoyed this. Um, I, I think the the last thing we had was is we wanted to get into early playoff races and maybe discuss what's going on at the bottom of the race and in, in each conference. So I, to to end this, I, like I want to kind of try to hold it as tight as we can to predictions. If you had to predict today, who is going to wind up eighth in the East and the West? Who would you have? Um, I have the Blazers leapfrogging Phoenix, Sacramento, and Oklahoma City to take that eighth seed in the in the West. And in the East, um Does that all right. In the East I'm going chalk, brother. I'm saying Orlando holds surf. I don't like any of these other teams behind them. I like Orlando. Well and I don't want to get too in the weeds and go all the way up the standings. My my question on the West is I mean are you you know the the T Wolves as it currently stands are a game and a half up on Phoenix, so I, I'm not sure I'm feeling great about that spot either. So, you know, who knows who ends up uh, getting that playoff spot there. Um, I'm with you on Portland. Uh, I'm obviously very curious to see if Carmelo Anthony can keep up this recent streak that he's had. It's about three games of pretty good basketball and them getting right again at least a little bit. And it is, you know, a reminder that it's a very long season. We're, we're a quarter of the way through. They've been through hell and back in terms of just the way this season has gone. Yet here they are, uh, one game out of the eighth spot. And if, if you go even farther from there, I mean, the idea of them getting into the top four is still conceivable. They're, they're uh, what is it, five and a half back from that at this point. Portland, I'm with you, uh, is going to be in the playoffs. Uh, the other West playoff team, um, I, I guess I'll give it to Minnesota. They've had good moments. Uh, you know, I'm one of the few that that looks at OKC and gives a hat tip to Chris Paul and everything that comes with him and and Shea Gilgis Alexander and how good he you know is as a young player and wonders if you know they don't have. Uh, a ton of incentive, I don't believe, to, to tank this year. They've got a long play uh, in play at the moment, so who knows if they make it in noise. But that's how I see the West. Out East, you've got Shock and Orlando. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, not great radio, so to speak, to, to agree with you, but uh, I'm, I'm not believing in the Charlottes, Detroits, and certainly not the Wizards, who only play one end of the ball. No. Um, so, you know, this Magic team so far has underperformed, and if they can, you know get a little bit closer to that ceiling then then maybe they can slide in with with Detroit they're they're going to be here tomorrow in Cleveland and um I mean they're 7 and 13 you know Blake missed a bunch of games Reggie Jackson's missed a bunch of games Derrick Rose missed some games and it's kind of been the story for the Pistons over and over again are they in striking distance of course they are they have 3 quarters of a season left uh, if they can get Reggie Jackson back, if if Blake and Derek can stay healthy, yeah. Last thought, I'm jumping back over to the West because you got me fixated on that. Um, in my neck of the woods, the Kings are are interesting because they I think they deserve a ton of credit for turning things around. They start 0 and 5. They they're 8 and 5 since. Uh, the problem is you don't know what to think of it because it's very different. Um, and t- you know they've had no Darren Fox, no Marvin Bagley. So when those guys get back on paper. They're a better team, except that they appear to have found something here with this group when you've got, you know, the, the Corey Josephs and guys like that uh, on the ball. 
And, you know, Harrison Barnes playing really well. Rashawn Holmes, their young big, is, yeah. has made a serious mark early on. And, and Buddy Hill doing his thing. I just don't have any clue what to think of, of that group once they get healthy. Because, you know, the first couple of games obviously weren't pretty. Do you know I have set a personal record this year? I have seen the Kings play three times already. Three! Wow. That's amazing. Wow. I'm going to see him tonight against the uh, Chicago Bulls. Talk about a, a bargain. Woo. It's a must win for the Kings, man. They, you've put the pressure on them. They have to finish eighth now, so they got to get these games. I know. I need I need a little home playoff <laughs> action. A little 8-1, uh, you know, Lakers-Sacramento, go up and down the coast. I like that. I like that quite a bit. All right, brother. Good show. Thanks for chopping it up. Uh, we flew solo today, so to speak, uh, and had fun doing it. So thank you, as always, to the loyal listeners. If you have not subscribed, please do that. Give us a nice review. If you don't have nice things to say, just keep it to yourself. That's fine. And uh, and we will be back next week, I, most likely with a, a guest of, of high esteem to, to join us. But thank you for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Yep.